a privilege to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, online campus, or Hopewell campus. Uh, we are in the midst of the Christmas season. I hope you realize that. If you haven't started your shopping, uh, you might want to get to it. Uh, we are in the midst of the Christmas season, in the midst of our Christmas series, uh, The Gift Exchange. And we've been talking about different ways that people exchange gifts. And one of the ways that I have really enjoyed watching is a new tradition uh, with my kids and their spouses. Uh, where they put their names in an app. I don't know if you guys use this. And then uh, the app actually uh, separates who's going to get gifts for whom. And, and so that's how they do gifts. They get gifts for one person within their siblings and their spouses and so forth. And I, I love it because it's supposed to be somewhat like secretive. And yet all you have to do is hear them talk with each other. And I've already figured out who's giving to who. And, and so I'm looking forward because I hear them sort of talking through ideas and and it's cool to see how, how much they're engaged in trying to figure out the perfect gift, the unique gift to give either their brother, sister, spouse, you know, their, one of their spouses or whatever. And, and it's so fun to watch. And I, I can't wait every year just to see um, the look on each of their faces as they give these gifts that they've worked so hard to pick out these special gifts for the person who they, uh, who they care about. And, and as I was thinking about that whole gift exchange and all the work that goes into it, I was reminded of what I said last week, it's worth repeating, that when we exchange gifts with God, he always gives a grander gift. Like he always gives a grander gift. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And we've been using this idea of gift exchange to talk about things that we can exchange with the Lord. And this morning we're going to talk about exchanging sorrow for joy. Exchanging sorrow for joy. There's little doubt that during the holidays, that holidays magnify our sorrows and our joys. And as many of you know, uh, I really enjoy the Christmas season. I have fond memories of Christmas all the way back to my childhood. I like making new memories. However, this means, for instance, this time of year that I feel lost more deeply than other times of the year. I, I can't totally explain it, but I think many of us understand that. My mom and dad have both passed, and they, they worked really hard really hard to make uh, special Christmas memories for my brother and I, and, and then continue to do so for my wife and, and our children and me. And, and I just, you know, as you can imagine, I really miss them. Some of you have people who you've lost and you're really missing them. And, and, and as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, there's just some times when my grandkids especially will do something. And I think, man, my mom and dad would get a kick out of that. I wish they could see that. And, and I miss them. And yes, it brings sorrow, but I want to be really careful in how I say this, but, but to be honest with you, I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful that I had a relationship with my parents worth missing. I'm really thankful that I had a relationship with my parents that, that even brings a little bit of that grief. I've often said to my family that when I pass, you don't have to mourn for me. I've lived a great life, but it would be awkward if no one cried at my funeral. You get what I'm saying? And, and, and so that missing in, in some ways is a strange gift, is a strange gift. But the truth is, is that sorrow is either the direct or the indirect result of sin. Since we live in a fallen world and sin is a normal part of it. Now, I want to unpack that. So don't close me off on, with saying that because maybe the first reaction is like, man, that's a pretty, pretty loud statement. But, but stick with me. Listen to this Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. By the way, not the most encouraging verse in Scripture. Not one you necessarily memorize or put on a card when you send to somebody. But true all the same. True all the same. 
Now, not all sadness is caused by sin we commit, of course. Sometimes it's just we live in a sin-cursed world where death and heartache and these things exist. And they exist alongside sore people who cause pain and, and also the separation of loved ones. And, and, and the reality is that life, that in this life, a sorrow comes upon us. In fact, here's the simple truth. This side of paradise, we will all deal with sorrow. We'll, we'll all deal with sorrow. The reality of it is when we're, when we're feeling sorrow, sometimes we feel very much alone, as if we're the only one. And yet the reality of it is all of us deal with it. Since we all deal with sorrow, how we deal with it is such a big deal. Such a big deal. How do most people deal with sorrow? Well, I think they deny it. I think they try to, to deny it. They try to delay the pain. They try to distract themselves. But the problem is that sorrow can't be adequately cared for by denying it or delaying the pain or, or distracting ourselves from it. So how do we deal with sorrow? Well, here you go. We bring our sorrow to the Lord, and we embrace his filling us with his joy. We bring it to the Lord, we lay it before him, and then we embrace his filling us with his joy. God does a remarkable work when we acknowledge our sorrows and bring them to him. Now, we need to understand that, that Jesus himself, when he, when he was on earth, he, he experienced grief and sorrow. In fact, Isaiah, several hundred years before Jesus was born, uh, prophesy about what he would go through. Look at Isaiah 53, 3 through 4. He, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So God's son, Jesus Christ, experienced grief and sorrow. Why? Because he bore our sins. He bore our judgment. He bore our rejection. Yet in love, he, he did this, and, and yet men still cover their face in disgust toward him. Why, why share this? Because our Lord, Jesus Christ, knows what it's like to feel rejected, know what it's like to, to feel hurt and, and to be alone. What's amazing is that he didn't, none of this was because of anything he did. He bore these things because of his love for us. He did these things because of his love for me, his love for, for you. Jesus Christ can identify with our grief and sorrow, but because of his salvific work, he's also the only one, the only one who can genuinely exchange our sorrow with joy. In Isaiah 61, we read of the Messiah announcing everlasting joy. I love this passage. Listen to the exchanges in this passage, Isaiah 61, 3. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Did you catch the exchanges there? When it speaks of ashes, that was mourning. They mourned with ashes, and instead of ashes, it says what? He gives a beautiful headdress. He says he gives us garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He gives us gladness instead of mourning. And, and not just that, but then he says, so that we'll be called what? Oaks of righteousness. Now that's quite an exchange. From sorrow to feeling like you're alone to feeling like there's no hope to all of a sudden being an oak of righteousness. How many of you 
uh, were able to sort of hear the windstorm last night. I was never more thankful that we took down 10 trees in my backyard this past uh, fall than, than last night, because all I could picture was the big tree and thinking, my goodness, that tree or the branches would have been laying on my yard. And, 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 and just think about how, how that weakness of those other trees. But then the other trees in my backyard, I'm glad they're still strong, that they were able to make it through the wind. And, and what we're looking at here is because of the exchange that Isaiah prophesies that Jesus brings to each and every one of us who are found in him, that, that we're not like the branches and the trees that blow over. We're oaks of righteousness, strong, able to stand the, the, the comings and goings of life. See, Christ came in part to replace our sorrow with joy. And we're offered this as a foretaste today and a total fulfillment when we're with him in paradise. When you give God your grief, he gives you his joy. Now, how does God do this? In part, God comforts us now by reminding us that he walks through our grief and sorrow with us, that we're not alone. That, that he's with us. In fact, Jesus, one of the great promises, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but the very spirit of Christ indwells those of us who are found in him. But there's more. The good news is that one day there will be no more sorrow. In, in Revelation, uh, this great revelation given to John, there's this, this part of the revelation recorded for us in Revelation 21, 4 through 5, where it speaks of, of what's going to happen when we're with Christ in paradise. Look at it with me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the formal thing has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. How many of you long for that day? I mean, that's a great picture, isn't it? Of what we'll experience in paradise. In fact, the reality of it is one of the one of the yearnings of everyone's heart, whether they know Christ or not, is for that. When we look at the world and say something's wrong, the answer is you got it. There is something wrong. And when Christ makes it right, the things that we wish weren't here won't be here any longer. And I love the fact that not only will he do, he says he makes all things new, and he says, and I'll trust it, because he says what? My promises are true. I am faithful. So how does the Lord do this work? Well, first of all, the Lord turns our sorrows to joy through his finished work on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected for our salvation, he conquered death and made it possible for us to experience life with him today, but life in its fullness when we're with him in paradise. The Lord also turns our sorrow into joy as we possess life in him, as we receive him as our Savior and Lord. See, the, the finished work of Christ does not automatically make someone right with God. The fact that Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected for our salvation, that, that doesn't make it automatic that we're right with God. We must receive him as Lord and Savior, and that's more than an intellectual acknowledgement. It's more than just intellectually saying, I believe that Jesus existed. Or even that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. We must believe in him for our salvation and walk with him. Not always perfectly, but walk with him. By, by following Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to literally follow him, to trust in him. And then the Lord turns our sorrow to joy by inviting us to take an eternal perspective. And I love this. We must trust that he will comfort us today, that he will heal our brokenness, 
completely in the future. Think about that for a minute. Think about that great work of God, that in reality, Jesus is healing us today, has healed us, and he's going to heal us completely when we get to heaven. Think about what God has done in this great work of allowing us to be in Christ. Now, how do we actually grow in the Lord? Well, we, we focus on him. We set our gaze on him. We allow him to be the one who, who brings the healing. We, we turn our back on counterfeits and allow ourselves to, to, to trust that he is the one who will heal our soul. Many of us in this room could give testimony of the things that we have done to try to heal our own sorrow. Other than Jesus. You, follow, you know where I'm going? Things that we've done to try to numb the pain. And yet the scripture tells us, no, 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 set your gaze on him. Set your focus on Jesus. Well, how do we set our gaze on Jesus? I want to offer three things that allow us to set our gaze on him so that we can experience the healing he has for us, so that we can exchange our sorrow for joy. The first is this, spend time in God's word. Spend time in God's word. Now, let me be really clear about this. We should spend time in God's word every day. And you say, that sounds a little legalistic. Well, let it sound any way it wants. We should spend time in God's word every day. We should let the word of God marinate over us, is the way I like to think about it. And yet, in times of difficulty, we should definitely turn to God's word. Like, there's hope in God's word. Come on, church. I know it's first service, but get excited with me. Like, there's good stuff. Like, you may not quote Psalm 90.10 that we looked at earlier, but there's other stuff you may look at. For instance, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. For instance, there's nothing, Romans 8, there's nothing that we go through that's worthy to be compared to the glory that we've revealed to us in Christ Jesus. That's good stuff. I don't care what you think. That's good stuff. And so we go to God's word, and we let the word of God embolden us. Let the word of God fill us. Let the word of God turn us into that oaks of righteousness that was prophesied through Isaiah. The second thing, I encourage us to spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. In times of grief and sorrow, we, we ought to invest time in prayer. Uh, this verse I'm about to read is in context of suffering. And listen to what James writes, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, a lot of times when we talk about asking for wisdom, we think about direction, like, you know, do I, do I take this job or this job? Do I marry this person or that person? But yet, in the context, what James was talking about, he asked for wisdom for all things. So one of the things we need wisdom from is, God, how do we exchange sorrow for joy? How do we take grief and allow you to do something good out of it in us? And, and so in prayer, we're able to come to the Lord and ask for wisdom, and it says that he gives, I love this, generously. Not stingy. Well, let's give him a little bit of wisdom. I don't want him to be too wise, you know? No, no, I want him to be wise, God says. Come to me. Let me give this to you. See, prayer doesn't change God as much as I have tried, by the way. You ever been there? You've heard me say I'm the great suggester in my prayers. God, I know you don't need my suggestions. Let me give you a scenario that I would love to see happen in this situation. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. 
And it helps us grow in our dependence on the Lord, walking with him as he leads us down his preferred path for us. Oh God, change me. Help me trust in you. Help me exchange sorrow for joy. And then thirdly, spend time in Christian fellowship. See, when we live amidst sorrow, we're tempted to avoid others. But it's when we truly need the support of the family of God. Truth be told, as believers, we always need one another. In fact, one of our strategies here at Crosswinds is when someone believes, and so we raise them up at what it means to belong to God and his church. Do you know who his church is? It's not this building. It's us. We're his church. We belong to one another. You've maybe heard me say this before. When you became a Christian, not only did you choose Jesus, but you may not have known it. You chose me to be your brother. Get over it. It came with that choice. But we need each other. We need Christian fellowship. And and that part of God's plan to exchange sorrow for joy is one another. You say, Craig, how can you say that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 1.4. It's a powerful verse. 2 Corinthians 1.4. Christ comforts us in all our affliction, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you see that invitation to be a conduit of God's work in one another's lives? Through God giving us grace and the ability to pass through difficult times and sorrows, God makes us a channel of his help for others. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That part of the joy of, of, of finding joy, of exchanging our sorrow for joy, is that in doing so, we can learn things that will allow us to bring that same work into the lives of people around us. That we can comfort them with the comfort of God. That we can show them the path that God has laid in our way so that they too can walk it and make this great exchange. See, no doubt, on this side of paradise, we will experience sorrow. In fact, Jesus said it, John 16, 33, second part of that verse. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm glad that verse ends that way because the first part isn't all that encouraging. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Isn't it it good that Jesus wasn't distracted and just sort of moved on to something else from there? But he shares the full picture, doesn't he? But take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. I love that word. Christ is an overcomer. In fact, not only is Christ an overcomer, but he says those who are found in him are overcomers as well. I mean, this may seem a little ridiculous, but I wonder what it would look like if every morning before we headed out into the world of chaos that we walk into, if we looked in the mirror, I know this sounds a little crazy, but remind yourself, Christ is an overcomer, and because he is and you're in him, so too are you. Like if we started today understanding who we are in Jesus, so when all this stuff starts hitting us, the sorrows and all those other things, that we can say, God, God's already got this. Come on, church. God's already got this. Not, not that it doesn't hurt, not that, not that there isn't laws. Not, no, these things exist, this side of paradise, but, but God's already got this, and he's already healed me in Christ, and yet he's healing me. What's that mean? Well, we still live in this messed up world, and so we're still hit with sorrow and other things. And yet he will completely heal me when he returns. Come on, church. 
completely heal me. Like, this will be done. Like, when I look at life, and I realize that 70 to 80 that the psalmist talks about, you know, when, when, when you're 5, 10, 20, that seems like forever. It's not seeming like forever to me anymore. <laughs> okay? I, I realize there's an end date. And, and yet the reality of it is that's such an incalculable period of time when we look at eternity. Like trouble for, I can't even get compared to. You see what I'm saying? An eternal perspective. In fact, the scripture says that we, we live an ascended life in Christ Jesus. I wrestled with that one for a while. I thought, what, what's that really mean? That we're in the heavenly places with him. It means that if we ask him for wisdom, he'll give us an eternal perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but I need an eternal perspective. The things of life, are, of this part of life, are temporary. But what awaits? Oh, my goodness. The Lord has healed me. He's healing me. He's going to complete the healing. See, Jesus assures us as his followers that even amidst difficulty and sorrow, we can have joy because he has overcome the world through his death and resurrection. And he will return to take us to a place where there's no more sorrow, where, where joy will be constant. You know, I was thinking about this. This is Christ triumphant. And Christ's triumph is at the heart of one of our most popular Christmas songs. We sang it, Joy to the World. Joy to the World has been recorded more than any other song, any other Christmas song. It has more variations than perhaps any other Christmas song. And yet it's quite unique. It's very unique. You say, well, how unique? Well, take a look at the screen and see how unique this song is, especially as a Christmas song. While most Christmas carols focus on the story of the nativity in the past, one well-known hymn encourages Christians to look forward to the future. There is one Christmas carol that is unlike all others. That song, Joy to the World, is not about the first coming of Jesus. That hymn is about the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the World was originally part of a book of poems written by the great English hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719. Based on the 98th Psalm, the poem was never intended to be a Christmas song, or any kind of song for that matter, and Watts never knew that he had just written one of his most famous hymns. A century later, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason discovered the poem and set it to music. Because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a holiday favorite and went on to become the most published Christmas carol in America. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every nation prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the wonders of his majesty. It's about when he comes again, finally, and rules in power and justice and mercy. I love the fact that one of the more famous Christmas songs has nothing really to do with Christmas but the second coming. 
because it reminds us that Jesus has come, but he's going to come again and that his spirit resides in us right now. Let me read a little bit from Psalm 98, just a few verses to give you an idea of what inspired this Christmas classic, the not-so-Christmas classic. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He's remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Jesus says to us, bring your sorrow, exchange it for my joy. He says, trust me in this. That to exchange our sorrow for God's joy, we give him our sorrow and, and being mindful of him, focused on him, setting our gaze on him, thinking about what he's done and what he's doing. He fills us with his joy, with a foretaste today and with the assurance that one day it'll be complete in us. In a moment, we're going to take part in a communion service. and It's a time of remembering. And I want to encourage us that as we take communion together this morning, that we remember what he has done, we remember what he is doing, and we remember what he has yet to do. His faithfulness to us is true, church. And whatever you're going through, especially if you're dealing with sorrow this morning, I just encourage you, let the Lord exchange your sorrow for joy. You say, once I do that, what? I will continue to do it. <laughs> continue to do it until Jesus returns and he takes it from us completely, wipes the tears from our eyes, and he completely fills us with eternal joy. Oh, what a day that'll be, huh? What a day that'll be. And it was all possible because of his coming, his dying, his resurrection, his ascension, and yes, his return. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for just your profound love for us. And God, for this amazing invitation of exchanging our sorrow for joy that doesn't just begin with us doing that. It begins with us receiving you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that anyone in this place, Lord God, whether they're here on the Canandaigua campus, part of our online campus, Hopewell campus, if they've yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, if they've yet to to place their trust in you, but even now in the quietness of their heart, they would do so. That is the greatest Christmas gift anyone could ever receive, life in you, that life that we've been created for. And so, Lord, I pray that if someone's yet to do that, that they would do that even now. God, for those of us who have done that, I pray, Lord, that, that this morning, especially as we enter into communion, a time of remembrance, that we would just come with, with the spirit of Christmas, which literally means the celebration of Christ. That we would celebrate you. Celebrate you for what you have done. Celebrate you for what you are doing, the continued work you do in and through our life. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. Your very spirit indwells us. And to praise you for the work you're going to do when you return. Lord, joy to the world comes in you. Joy in our life comes from you. True joy can only come from you. And we thank you for offering it to us. We thank you for this life we have in you. We thank you for the joy of celebrating you together. And we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>